0: Today, I'm bringing you a LinkedIn live webinar that I recorded with Mark Cox, the CEO of In the Funnel. These live sessions are open to the entire community of B2B sales professionals with the intent of the webinars to educate and motivate B2B communities to maximize sales performance. Great to talk with him and I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode.
1: Team, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to today's webinar and as always with the in the funnel webinars, the only objective we have today is to share some strategies and processes and tools that you can apply to your business and your industry today. So the next hour is about learning and boy, are we in a treat. Uh, Do we have a treat for you here today in, in that regard. Team, today we're going to talk about this spectacular book called Selling Transformed develop the sales values which deliver competitive advantage. The author is Dr. Philip Squire and he's joining us today from the UK. I'll give him a proper introduction in a few minutes but I'm going to let you know a little bit about why I'm just incredibly excited to talk about this amazing book. So what Philip's done in Selling Transformed, he takes us through first of all very short history of professional selling, very interesting by the way, and some of the the milestone selling books that have come before this, he touches on those. But it leads him to doing a dissertation in professional sales and he identifies that most buyers aren't happy with the experience that they're getting from professional salespeople today. And of course that aligns with lots of other research we've seen out there by Gardner and by CSO Insights and lots of others saying, the buying experience isn't what it needs to be They're not happy with what they're getting from professional sales today. Where I think um, Philip takes us in an amazing direction with this book is he goes in a different direction. He's not talking about sales process or methodologies. He ties it back to sales values or personal values and alignment between sellers and buyers from a value perspective that will enable competitive differentiation and success. And he actually brings up some amazing examples throughout the book. The values that he focuses on, and you're going to love these. Some we would expect, of course, authenticity. You know, be yourself. Client centricity. Obviously, put the customer first, but not just the customer. Understand them so well that you understand their entire ecosystem. Here's where they get great. Proactive creativity. So those among us who've been successful, proactive creativity, a key value, key attribute. And then here we go, tactful audacity, okay? No, knowing how far to go, Tactic, tactful audacity. So we're going to talk to Philip about um, how we came up with these values of the 130 value examples he provides us. And then we're, we're going to go today, hopefully, is talk a little bit about what Philip and team are doing to elevate sales To the profession it deserves to be and they're making some amazing strides in the uk and other places and i think this is so important for all of us that have dedicated our lives to professional sales and it's really important for those just jumping into the profession and there's lots of you how do we feel better about what we're doing so that we see it as the profession it deserves to be and in addition You know, we can be ourselves as long as we're the best version of ourselves and align our value systems professionally with those that we have personally. So um, I'm going to just give a proper introduction here to Philip. So Philip is the uh, Dr. Philip Squire is the CEO of Consalia. And for 20 years, he's really just had an amazing CV of consulting for some of the largest, most successful sales organizations in the world whether it's SAP or HP or Apple, Zurich, Royal Caribbean, the list of the top tier sales organizations out there are on the CV for Consalia. Now, Philip's a, um, a thought leader for something called the UK Trailblazer Undergraduate Apprenticeship in Professional Sales. He's also the co-founder of the Inter- International Journal of Sales Transformation. So without further ado, team, let's see if Philip's there to come on board and join us here and let's give them all a wonderful welcome. There he is. Welcome, Philip. It's great thank to have you. you here today.
0: Thank you very much. I think I can go now, Mark.
1: Yeah, you absolutely. Uh, I think
0: you've summarized everything perfectly. So thank you very much uh, for inviting me.
1: <laughs> well, Philip, first of all, just so great to have you here today. And I say um, thanks for joining us from the UK Team, it'll start start to get a little bit darker and darker over Philip's left shoulder as we're going through the That's conversation true. for the X hour here. <laughs> so, Philip, I know you were you were at an event at the UK Stock Exchange late last week when we were exchanging some emails. What were you doing there? What was the event, and how did it go?
0: Um, yeah, the the event was our sixteenth uh, that we've run at the London Stock Exchange. Um, it's very symbolic to us. Um, uh, that we're there you know sales is at the heart of driving economic activity and uh, and so um yeah we, we, you know for us it's uh it's an annual pilgrimage you know covid notwithstanding and we've had over the years we've had some amazing themed events so they're they're really a a forum for thought a uh, thought leadership um you asked what we did on on, on Thursday, um, the theme of Thursday's event is around relationship capitalization. Oh. Uh, and the, you know, I think we, you know, I, I, it's particularly relevant, I think, in these sort of COVID uh, days in which we, uh, that we're living, it, to what extent has the relationship capital that we built in our customers wow. increased or decreased as a, as a consequence of the digital Sales environment in which we, we seem to be operating in. Um, yeah, we had some um, we had some some really great, great you know great great speakers from different disciplines. I could spend quite a lot of time talking about what we covered, but I suppose if I if I were to put in a a, a nutshell, what what we were trying to achieve is that the value of the intangible assets of any business in the balance sheet for the value of client contracts is now greater than the value of the brand of the company. So if you start to analyze the the value of intangible assets, you often find whether it's Microsoft or some of these big companies, the, uh, the value that's attached to the customer area is really important. Now we're arguing, and not arguing, we're exploring the idea of um who who does the valuation? You know, you've got accountants doing the value. What do they know about client relationships? Well, they don't know a great deal. Um uh so I, I've been really interested to look at some of the metrics that they use, you know, to put to put value. And I guess what, really? you know, the the implications of this is is um if we, if we can start to set the standard for client relationships, which could potentially find its way into the balance sheet, um, then that maybe could set a standard for how we look, particularly at our key accounts. Mm. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's what we were doing at the Stock Exchange on Thursday. We had some great speakers from the financial world talking about it. Uh, some of the, the team that we've got together uh, we had SAP there, and we had ServiceNow there as well. Wow. So yeah, it was a great event, and uh, yeah, it was great to get back in person, actually meeting people. I think that's uh, that's what it's all about at the end of the day, <laughs> at least well, to me.
1: Boy, does it, you know, <laughs> a couple of great thoughts on that, but doesn't it feel good to start to be at events where you're seeing people and meeting people? Yeah, and, you know, just as we were chatting before today's um, today's show, we were chatting with one of our teammates who was saying. She'd been at a wedding on the weekend, so right. what a joy it would be to be there! But just reengaging, we're now getting clients who are coming to us, Philip, saying, "Okay, as we're doing our planning for Q1 sales training and events and yeah. and so forth, they're going to be in person now."
0: Yeah, that's great. I yeah. think we yeah we've started to have seen that the universities now are opening up the campuses here. Um, as well, but it's uh, there's still a lot of hesitancy, I'd I'd have to say, um, yeah. But um, let's hope next year <laughs> we get back to some sense of normality, and and yeah. you must come over to next year's GST event. Uh, Mark, we'll 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 make sure you're invited.
1: <laughs> I'll be delighted to be there. My my my, family, my dad's from Birmingham. Oh, so, there
0: you so. go. Yeah. yeah. So so, so you yeah. have family over here.
1: So, if only to pay homage to um, Aston Villa, you know we'll take any. Okay, (laughs)
0: let's not talk about football at the moment. (laughs) No,
1: let's not talk about Aston Villa. By the way, when you're when you were chatting a little bit about the the intangible value of relationships, how important, by the way, in in terms of thinking of those organizations, enterprise software organizations, the lifetime value of a customer, staggeringly high. Is this everything that gets bucketed into goodwill today when you're working with the accountants and they're're they're, they're valuing these things there's always this gray zone of goodwill at least with North American finance
0: yeah, that's that's, that's similar and um, I mean it's interesting any the, the only time that you can actually put a value on that is at the point at which a company is sold right um, if you're a publicly quoted company, the difference between the the share cap value represented by shares, and the um, the balance sheet value is is often what goes into this big pot of customer relationships and right. intangibles like the brand. So, um, I mean, clearly it's massive. You know, it's it, it's a massive source of value. Yes. Um, but surprisingly, not that well. Um, not not that scientifically measured, and I think that's what we were really interested to explore: is is how do you do it? And now there's some very clever software, um, also coming from Canada, um, which uh, which uh, enables us to look at relationship capital in a in a new way. The company is Intrahive um, that, that we partnered with at this event. You may know them. Um, yeah.
1: Actually, we don't, but what a, what a smart idea, because yeah, you know, it is. You know, t- taking it downstream, if you can actually measure the value of that relationship financially, then I think that may be a trigger for change in ter- terms of more investment in protecting that relationship.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's one of the biggest assets of a business. So, yeah. you know, you should nurture it, you should treasure it, you should make sure you're all your kpis are measuring it and uh and so yeah it's terribly important you know particularly as 80 percent of revenue tends to come from the 20 percent of customers so you can't afford to to lose a big customer if you right. yeah.
1: and, and you know philip of course you talked about that a lot when we got into the key account management you know portions of the book and some of the great examples yeah. there but you know as we convert to talk a little bit about selling transformed yeah, let's talk about, um, I, you know, the impetus for writing the book in the first place in your journey, you know, through through the assignment and then the dissertation. Tell us a little bit about what triggered this book for you.
0: Well, if you're looking at a sort of an order of events, um, it 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 didn't. The the book came after the research and and some years after Um uh, and and it, it was quite a fortuitous um, journey. You know, it started with uh, in the in the gardens of Hampton Court Palace with a conversation with a, a lecturer at one of our London universities who who overheard a conversation I was having about research, and uh, he said, "Why don't you turn that into a doctorate?" And and um, yeah, I'd never went to university. I didn't regard myself as being an academic in any way but I'd always wanted to do something that used my brain a bit Hmm. more and uh, I didn't realize that you could go straight into doing a doctorate without doing an undergraduate postgraduate degree you have to go through quite a few hoops to get to that acceptance uh, for the doctorate program so yeah it just started complete by by chance and it it coincided with um, some research we're doing with with Hewlett-Packard, which I talk about in the book a bit, um, mm-hmm. where they'd asked us to go and interview some of their customers about how their customers wanted to be sold to. Mm-hmm. And, and really, the, the response from those initial interviews were the spark to provoke it's really become a life work i suppose you could say it's just amazing how in life these small things can trigger big things isn't it
1: (laughs) you know how amazing it is in life that saying yes to things triggers you down a path you'd never imagined but it started by saying yes yeah and you know getting that assignment and, and you know starting to do conduct the research and authentically living in the moment it leads you down a path Boy, that's certainly something I try and continue to work on in my life, Philip, is just sure. to start with yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, I think that's right. I think life deals you certain cards and you you play the cards, you play the deck, and sometimes the cards you get played aren't particularly attractive um, and sometimes are good. But, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. It's, it's sort of being in the moment and I guess to some extent following a certain degree of intuition as yeah. well.
1: And, and so as part of that, you know, it, you, that, dis, uh, that um, assignment led you down this path to what you call a crisis in sales, identifying what this, this crisis in sales, where you came back and said, you know, you use some very specific examples from some important business leaders getting very direct feedback about what a low percentage of salespeople were, were adding value
0: yeah, it's, you know, back.
1: it's, it's,
0: it's really interesting. I, I, I mean, uh, first of all, um, the level of people that I was interviewing were, were, were quite, there were sort of management and very senior management level execs across a whole range, eventually across a whole range of sectors, and in different parts of the world. Um, no one ever refused an interview. So that that told wow. me that customers cared. Uh, and they're quite passionate about the relationship that they have with salespeople. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was great. You know, you obviously were, you know, had an open door pretty much to senior execs who terribly busy people. And they care about relationships they have with their key suppliers. And so that, that was good. Tick that box. They care about something. But, but the emotion through which they expressed their, you know, what turns them off. Mm-hmm. Took me by surprise, um, and I did wonder at the very beginning if I just happened to choose upon the two or three, you know, customers out there who were born to be difficult and awkward. But that right. didn't be the case because, you know, I think the very first person I interviewed when I asked the question, "What percentage of salespeople sell in the way you want?" he said, "Oh, ninety percent are a complete waste of time. No, maybe you ninety-five know, percent." So- so it was a bit of an ouch moment and, uh, and you know, and the second one said about ten percent of salespeople you know are in that we, we've we've begun to call this the winner's circle mm-hmm. and um, and it, it it was only initial two or three but but eventually I think over a, as part of the doctorate, over about 80 people, I mean obviously my client, who was HP at the time, were concerned with this feedback
1: Right. <laughs> so Absolutely. they. Did-
0: they said, Phil, would you mind going across to America, you know, to, you know, I went. I went with HP and, and then some major other major sort of multinationals who began to hear about it. And it, it really led me to this burning platform that mm. I think we have, which is, you know, according to customers, you know, they don't have a great, um, a great impression of salespeople. So <laughs> Uh, so this is something that we need to change, I think, in the profession.
1: Yeah. You, you know, towards the end of our chat today, I'll ask some some uh, questions about: Are we to blame for that, or is that a little bit of the the history, and you know, questions? some stereotypes that come our way? Are we any different than some other professions like law? Yeah. You know, where um, because there's there's so much out there today, um, but but you know just staying yeah. on that path of the challenge or this crisis in sales that you you put yeah. on how did you how did we end up going back to this value system you talk about although i'm not deep in it you know really in um, framework and so oh forth. yeah yeah um it it was
0: there there was a very low moment i would say in in the research and it, it happened after a couple of years and i decided to bring together a group of buyers and sellers in the same room and I I was very lucky to be able to work with Professor George Yip who uh, was then at London Business School um, okay. written multiple books on global account management and so on and so he and I were in this room in London and with this group of about 20 people and we're looking at the data and then we're saying well let's let's you know what framework do we need to build that will then, put us into the, you know, the winner's circle, the 10%. And the low moment was looking at the data and looking at what was written up there on the flip charts and actually thinking, do you know something? There's, there's nothing new in here at all. Right, okay. Because <laughs> they talk about, you know, salespeople need to listen and they need to ask the right questions and they need to have commercial acumen. They need to be resilient you know, all of these kind of things that had come up that we knew, you know, we just, you know, we'd seen it before. And I know that companies are investing huge sums of money yeah. on these kind of topics. Um, and the low moment was actually I'd gone through two years of research and come up with nothing new. <laughs> so I can tell you that was fairly soul-destroying. Um, <laughs> but it it coincided with one of my... Uh, lecturers at at the university um, who was talking about bias and uh, the different lenses through which you can see data, and uh, how much your uh, bias influences how you see stuff. And uh, we we began this then discussion about values. and I, I realized that when we started talking about values at a personal level, I'd never seriously considered, what they were. I think we go through life um, um, quite often, or certainly I did, you know, sort of you, you know, you don't really reflect on what they are. And I began to realize that this is kind of the operating system under which your behavior follows. And, uh, you know, this light bulb went off both in the way that I was looking at the data, but then I said, well, if I look at these the, the 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 huge amount of data I collected from from these customers, um, and I looked at what were the you know what were they really saying from a values perspective. I actually found that a lot of the time they were talking about values directly, even mm-hmm. though I was not looking for it. And I I when you do your literature research, when you start to look at what academics are researching on the topic of sales effectiveness. I, I realized that no one had really explored this topic in detail. And I began to get excited because to me, the logic is so beautifully simple. Agreed. That if, if you live certain values, whatever they are, that's how you're going to be. It's going to influence everything you do, how you behave, how you act. And the, the hypothesis then was, well, what are the values, both positive and negative, negative. And is it possible for people to adapt or adopt values? And can we measure that, can we measure the performance improvement from people who live them? So that, that became the second half of my, my doctorate. And uh, it was a bit happier than the first <laughs> half because I, I felt we were breaking into some really new territory, new ground. And uh, both myself and the customers we were working with at the time felt the same way.
1: Well, this is where um, your work touched me personally. I'll, I'll call it out, Philip, why I was so excited to get you as a guest here today. Because, you know, we've all seen those people in life that just you, you engage with them and you leave and you just think to yourself, that's, that person is doing what they were born to do. They're happy in their own skin. And what I've noticed in professional sales is a great deal of the time, um, you know, particularly on some younger team members in professional sales, it, there's a disconnect between what they think they're supposed to be doing professionally and their own personal value system. And, and I love this idea of, hey, let's align. Let, first of all, it takes away from authenticity when that's happening within the year and nobody wants to engage with somebody who's inauthentic. And then secondly, they're, they're just um, conflicted. They just don't feel comfortable in their own skin. And nobody wants to engage with somebody like that either. They're not gonna perform at their peak there. I love this idea of going to this value system and then driving the values so that we can actually also identify organizations that we as professional salespeople wanna join because we should be asking them what their value systems are. No one mm-hmm. ever asked this in an interview. You know, no, yeah. this never comes up. You never get a candidate going, tell me about the values of the company. So, so I, I think this is how we, you know, without this crazy churn and transition taking place in professional sales today, I think everybody watching this, whether it's the podcast or what have you, think about your own value system. And I know there's an exercise in chapter seven to do that. And then ask the next employer you're considering, what are their values? How do they want to treat their customers? You know how do how does that pervade the sales organization, if not the entire company? But incredibly powerful stuff. And and then you landed on these these four values that can provide some of this you know competitive differentiation. Meaning these are the values that buyers want to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you summarized those at, at you know the, at the very beginning of 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 the talk. It, it was and it was. Yeah, it, it uh, we spent a lot of time I was just looking at my my dissertation actually before the, Oh okay. uh before the uh, the the call and I I looked at the timelines of actually getting to those four and and it it it, it took uh, sort of 18 months because we wow. were constantly you know we were saying that you know is authenticity the right word or should it be integrity um you know uh the tapful audacity um which I love like you, Uh, you know, I, I, I just, you know, that, that really hit true. Um, Again, you know, it takes a, it takes a long time to come up with, with sometimes simple frameworks. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it was, it was, an uh, you know, just an amazing, uh, uh, amazing journey to get to these four that worked and, and four that didn't. And, and that's the result of four years work. You know, the end of four years, you come up with four things <laughs> that you actually think might make a little bit of an impact on the sales profession.
1: <laughs> hope that oh, you know, Hey, power <laughs> to you, Philip, because there's, you know, there's a saying that's attributed to Mark Twain, but he didn't say it. Okay. It's actually a physicist who came up with this, um, yeah. you know, who originally came up with this, but anyway, the saying is, hey, I wrote you a long letter. If I had more time, I would have written you a short letter. And, yes. and so you took that to the nth degree, taking the, the, the four years. But the power is in the simplicity of the shorter list. And let's talk about, by the way, you know, I really do love tactful audacity. Um, I think it's it's one of my operating principles generally, but the authenticity. So starting there, the quality of being real and true. So So let's expand on that a little bit for the audience today
0: well you you kind of raised um, a very you know you talked about sort of being comfortable in your own skin and you know there's a lot of people that go through life who never quite know what skin they should be living in um, and you know for me the reflection that um, that I went through as I was doing the the doctorate and 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 in terms of actually looking at what what I felt my core my core personal values were, and the impact that that would, you know, the reasons that those values, not the reasons, but the impact those values had on my career, my chosen career, you know, was massively important. And we, when we start working with salespeople and sales leaders on our master's programs or undergraduate programs, that's where we start. We start with our first module, three days. All we do is we start to explore this whole notion of of who we are, uh, coupled with um, reflection. You know, wow. and and you know, I talked earlier about bias. I, I think the problem that we have sometimes is that uh, we don't understand what influences our perception of ourselves, um, which can distort our conclusions. So. Um, and it's it's often the most, it's one of the most transformational modules we have. And you don't normally see that in any kind of sales curriculum, right? We're going to start looking at values. We're going to deep, deep, you know, we don't want a superficial, yes, family integrity, or whatever it might be. We want to do a really deep dive on it because you talked earlier about conf- conflict and uh, we call it living contradictions. Um, yeah. Is is that unless you do what is aligned to your personal values, you're going to be unhappy at some point. And if you're unhappy, you therefore won't be motivated. You won't be passionate and customers will sense it because they're looking looking for your values. And they're not just looking at what they see as your behavior. They're looking for the values that you're demonstrating and how you work and the person you are. So authenticity the Greek word, I mean, it, it comes. It's also about being original. So mm-hmm. we, what we liked about the word authenticity was the sense of being original, unique. It wasn't just being someone that we can trust. It's it's this original, you, the authentic Levi jeans. I think was the first, you know, <laughs> saying around the jeans. You know, um, so yeah, we we so that was that is what drove authenticity and. You know, it's terribly important and it's, it's where we start, you know, finding your authentic self.
1: <laughs> and you do three days on that.
0: Well, yeah, we, we share, we share, we get them to go through exercises that reflect on themselves. We, we do different exercises. We give them reflection techniques. So we teach people how to think. Mm. Not just uh, so because they need to understand the filters for which they see data. so we spend time looking at reflective techniques. we then share with them the research and what customers have said you know through videos and we then get them to um, to think about the connecting of their personal values with the customer values and deciding, I mean, almost never, I'm not in the right career, (laughs) but, you know, sales is such a wonderful profession to be in, you know, and it, you know, for those that are interested in, in finding solutions for customers, being creative, you know, a lot of the customer values, I think, speak to a lot of people, you know, it's that they're not just related to sales. You could apply these values, I think, almost to any, any role.
1: Well, you know, and you make the connection in with Simon Sinek and why. And that's right. You yeah. Know, of course, the biases that we all battle. I'm from Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast yeah. and Slow. Still to this day, the tough, toughest read. Any MBA book I ever had to motor through <laughs> was easy compared to Thinking Fast and Slow. That's the hardest book I've ever had I love that book, book, book too. I love it. But, you know, on a personal note, Philip, I would absolutely call out that my first couple of years selling photocopiers 25 years ago, maybe 30, it was, looking back, now was a dream job. So that was the only technology around at the time. That was the technology. Great company, Kodak, treated everybody wonderfully. They valued the profession of sales. And deep down, two things, being in my low 20s, I wanted a veneer because my personal life of staying up late and carousing and drinking—I just thought I was such a mess that I had to have this veneer. Right. Yeah. Nothing's changed on the staying up late, <laughs> uh, but uh, but now I'm a little more open about it. But but walking around like um, because again the profession I could, I fell into it and really needed almost no credentials to get into it. Yeah. Whereas you know my friends who were articling students with law firms or really just being brutalized in the financial sector because they yeah. had an MBA and there were interns and, oh, their lives were so incredibly unpleasant compared to mine professionally. Yeah. But I didn't realize it.
0: Okay. That's and, interesting.
1: Yeah. It's a very interesting, you know, I get to see the different businesses and travel yeah. around learning yeah, yeah. different things. It, it was really such a joy, but I just didn't, I wasn't connecting the dots on why. And yeah. Yeah. You know when I stood back and did that that it all started becoming a joy yeah so so we, there was authenticity let's talk a little bit about the and you, you've got amazing examples of some courage by some companies by the way when you talk about client centricity value number two so not just knowing the client I mean, but knowing that whole ecosystem. yeah the
0: whole, knowing the whole ecosystem and I, I think that um you know, it's, it's not the client, but it's the client's customers that are important, or in some cases, their suppliers, depending on the nature of the sector that they're in. Um, yeah, so this this became, I mean, obviously, what customers are saying is, you know, it's absolutely critical that you understand, you know, not just our business, but the world in which we operate, our context. And you can often see salespeople are make rather superficial attempts to, to really understand that market. Um, I was really struck by um, Hennessy, and what was the other gentleman's name? They were both at IMD. Um, uh, uh, was it Jeanet? Yeah, Jeanet and Hennessy. Hennessy is at Babson in, in the USA. Um, two academics sort of writing about cracking the industry code. Um and they really set the bar fairly high and what I felt salespeople um needed to do. Uh, and when we were working with um HP in the early days, where we'd taken the, the mindsets, we'd taken the research, and we said we said to HP, we had the control group looking at these large deals, and we said, How do we take client centricity and put it on steroids? And the kind of and then we said, Well. These deals were pretty big. You know, there were $20 million plus deals that we're working on. And we actually said, well, who who can give us an MBA on this client in about an hour? And uh, we said analysts and industry analysts. They're talking to CEOs all the time. So we invited, you know, the Morgan Stanley's of this world and other analysts to come in. And, uh, and talk to us for an hour. Then they're, they're not supposed to do this as part of their normal day job, but we decided to, you know, we said, look, we'll put money into a charity of your choice. You know, so uh, we, we used whatever we could to try and get them to participate. And actually, they were incredible. And that really enabled the sales teams to get an edge on the context and the, the customer situation uh, business-wise. Uh, and also the characters, of the main board, you know, people are making these big decisions. So, um, yeah, so essentially client centricity, it's something we're always taught, you know, to do. But what we did was say, well, whatever we've been taught, how can we do it more and in more detail? And of course, now with the Internet or with the Internet and all the search engines, we now have access to huge amounts of information. So, yeah, there's no excuse not to do it.
1: Thank you for the last comment. You know, with, with the access to information, you would think there's no excuse not to do it, but it's actually not done. Correct. And, you know, most of my background was kind of mega deals. So 10 okay. hundreds, I did a billion dollar deal. Wow. So okay. knowing, knowing the customer was so critically important and they can yeah. tell, they, they, they have no time to educate you on their business. Correct. Correct. You know, if you haven't done three quarters of the work and and team, one of the things I'm going to call out to everybody watching or listening today if you do large account management or key account management today, um, actually buying, selling transformed only for, I I think it was in chapter eight, there are samples of how to do the size up on the business you're selling to. Fantastic models, incredibly straightforward and simple. And Philip suggests, hey, do the work and then share it with your client and say, are we on the right page here? Yeah. I First of all, I, you know, reading through that, I was picking up a different way of doing a size up on a business that I thought was magnificent, but it's really a beautiful how to in terms of yeah, getting that you. perfect yeah. full, full view of the ecosystem. Team, go and get this book just for th- that alone will help your big deal teams. <laughs> yeah.
0: So really- yeah. I think you're referring to the strategy grid. It it is an amazing tool. And uh, I think collaboration in this is so important. And it's also part of building trust. And the idea of sharing it with the customer, getting them to fill in the boxes where you can't, is just a great way to give them comfort that you really understand the business challenges. So yeah, thank you for referring to that.
1: Well, I just thought it was just incredibly powerful. Yeah. So um, value number four, proactive creativity, you know, literally bringing things, helping that client get to a better future that they hadn't thought of getting to. Uh,
0: Yeah, I think I think this is really important in, you know, you mentioned Julian Birkinshaw earlier on, and I've been hugely influenced by um, him talking about the the post knowledge era and Mm -hmm. agility and democracy and how companies have to be so so quick to, to change. And of course, they don't know all the answers. Uh, the great advantage that we have as salespeople, like you were mentioning earlier, Mark, is, is that you know, we, we see across different sectors. We see what different customers are doing with some of the solutions that we might have developed for them before. Uh, your insight and knowledge is a, of, of huge help. And they, the time is not on their side, because uh, you know the things, uh, like I said, move so quickly. So proactive creativity is really a, a, a value that they look for in salespeople. Um, rare, rarely seen, you know, I see a lot of creativity sometimes, but it's reactive. Like customer says, right? you know, got this new idea. Can we do something? know, this is where customers are saying, we love it when a salesperson unsolicited comes to us with an idea that we haven't thought of. But of course, it has to be grounded on authenticity and client centricity. You can't just do it uh, cold, in my view. Right. Unless you're lucky, happen to come up with the right idea at the right time. But
1: yeah, you also have to have that credibility with them or earn it in a short period of time. Yeah. So yeah, that's, know,
0: that's hard to do sometimes. But yeah, yeah. you're right. If, if you know If there's a fortuitous meeting of of time and idea and then yeah it can be done but it's pretty rare um it's pretty rare to be able to do that without some sort of connection you have to earn the right to be trusted it takes time to do that
1: some of those large organizations that you've you know you've um had the uh, pleasure of working with they'll they'll put together MBA teams of people called value engineers correct and yeah they'll, you know they'll kind of assess the The financial and strategic positioning of certain businesses and identify KPIs that are out of whack and give the point of view to the um, enterprise sales rep to lead with a senior executive. Yeah. But they're facts. Yeah. And again, it's based on thank you, it's based on the research and understanding that business. And those MBA teams are almost at the level of analysts. Correct. Understanding certain yeah. industries. So it's, it's, it's such, such a smart way of getting in there. Yeah. So so let's talk about this last one, Philip. And um, um, this will be close to my heart because I'm not sure I have the, the tactful part down, or at least my wife would tell you maybe I don't have the tactful <laughs> part down. The, the art of knowing how far to go without going too far. Apparently, I have a problem with the second piece, the second particularly piece. around yeah. home. <laughs> But the art of knowing how far to go without going too far—tactful audacity. Yes. Yeah, so, today. Um,
0: yeah, this is this is having the courage to be to be bold, um, and it's it it's the tact is really important, you know, because you don't want to upset people by coming across as being too opinionated. Um, but you need to have the audacity, which re- is going to be reflected in the passion with which you are suggesting they do something, uh, even if it might not be what they asked you for. Um, and the tactful audacity value came to me uh, as a consequence of interviewing Starbucks, mm-hmm. and out out in Seattle, and I interviewed the Starbucks team, and the it was originally Compaq and then HP because. HP bought Compaq at the time this deal was being done, and I just love the audacity of Starbucks, who sort of issued this RFP for technology vendors to invest in the internet cafe concept in Starbucks, which they reckoned would cost them hundred million dollars for free. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and what it, I, I love the story and and the creativity that it drove. Uh, eventually HP won it, uh, loved the creativity, it drove, but it, I left the interview thinking, well, what if, what if the account teams actually thought of the problem before Starbucks did? Right. And, and for me, I, I then came back to, well, therefore, what, what values do you need to have to drive that kind of thinking? And this reinforced the proactive creativity value and then having the audacity to take that and across, you know, put it across the desk of, of someone like Starbucks, I could have saved them millions of dollars if the account team had come up with the idea before they did. Exactly right. Ra- rather than invest the 60 million, which they eventually did to get the deal. <laughs> right, right. But it, it, it's great. And we've lived off that, you know, and that's where the fun is. You know, the fun is all, all of these, values coming together at the point you're you're putting your solution across to customers?
1: Well, you know, we always like trying to define sales um, right at the start of our training, Philip, because we think people are getting confused. Okay. And and there's lots and lots of reasons for that. Some of it are the internet platitudes, the three-minute videos, which are supposed to teach somebody how to sell professionally. But at the end of the day, we just think, you know, selling is about Solving a significant problem for a customer in a way that's mutually beneficial for them and for you. Yeah. If you identify that problem first and have that discussion about getting them to a better future, can you imagine the strength and the positioning before any, you know, we always say before anybody goes to RFP, you write the RFP because yeah. you came up with the idea. You're in a position then to protect some of the things you need to protect you know, like yeah. margin and profitability, make sure it works mutually beneficial.
0: Correctly. Yeah.
1: But, um, you know, but but it changes everything, but it, it takes time and it takes creativity. And maybe in some sales environments, I don't have that time because I've got this incessant pressure of the quarterly number. So I'm I'm only looking at the deals that are at the bottom of my funnel. And, you know, trying to close those rather than building for the future. Right. And I'll say some of the organizations where I had the privilege of doing some of the largest deals and largest transactions, the, the reason they ended in a positive way is the organization wasn't used to doing those kinds of mega deals. So there wasn't this timeline that said, you better bring this in in eight months. You better bring it in in six. Those kind of deals take a year and a half, two years. One of them took seven or eight months just to negotiate once they you know, decided on us. Mm. So, so some of that leeway enabled us to keep all the internal pressure off of the client so we could continue to let them know we were trying to get them to a better future. And it wasn't about me hitting my quarterly number or me hitting my profit goal. And when they had that trust, then we could collaboratively work together, even though it was still bumpy getting there. So, so I think sometimes these environments we're creating, all the, these wonderful values you're talking about, as sales leaders, we need to think about how do we insulate our teams from some of these inherent pressures to allow them to behave their way so that they feel safe to behave that way and that they're not just trying to pitch a product, trying you know get a lead, try and close it before the end of the quarter. You've touched on leadership in the book as well, um, Philip, and and the one thing that, you know, there's a lot of folks who will be listening to this who might be CEOs of mid-market companies, and they kind of play a bit of a role as a sales leader, or they're sales leaders in larger organizations, and as you've probably seen, CSO Insights, um, you know, Gardner, they're always talking about what sales leaders are dealing with. And for about the last five or six years, they always ask this question of, you know, around 2,000 of the top sales leaders in the U.S., what's your number one priority? It comes back at transforming the sales organization. And the irony of this is it's always the same. So you think, hey, isn't a transform- transformation a one-time thing? and they say, you know, for the last six or seven years, that keeps becoming the number one thing, the saying, in this constant state of transformation. You, you, in the book, you do an interesting, I have an interesting way of defining the definition, the difference between change and transformation. And then you talk about some of the leadership qualities required at the sales leader level to mm-hmm. enable transformation. Do you mind
0: sharing a little bit of that, um, Sure. I mean, you're touching upon such an important topic, which could be, could be almost another podcast. Our, next, our next podcast. A, a, we'll another webinar. Bit. But, um, you know, ma- managers play a critical role in creating an environment that allows these values to flourish. And you mentioned perhaps earlier that, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast and leadership <laughs> yeah. is so, you know, leadership, you know, is very much Im- involved in, in that cultural um, uh, domain. Um, what, uh, gosh, where do we start with this one? Um, yeah, the the value, you know, what values do sales leaders need to have? Um, from our experience, a lot of the perhaps poorer practices are caused because leaders themselves you know, they, 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 they've been through a certain sales training system yeah. that kind of reinforces habits that we would call manipulative. You know, um, uh, you know the specific types of questioning techniques, perhaps, or, or whatever. Yeah. So the, the role that managers have, have in, in, in sort of believing that there could be a different way of doing things is, is so essential. Um, so a, a lot of the work that um, that we find ourselves now doing and we, you know, we, we have master's programs now that we're running in the UK uh, for sales leaders around leading sales transformation um, is is very much geared to, you know, what values and attributes do the leaders need to have. Um, most leaders manage by. Uh, we call it tactical sales management systems, quarterly yes. driven, all the things you talked about. Yeah. Transformation is a different system you need to have. And we, we talk about that a little bit in the book, but we probably don't have too much time to talk about it now unless you want to go into some detail. But but,
1: um, Or unless I want to go into your dinner hour, which I absolutely don't want to do. But we'll, um, you know, next time we'll bring for sure. Philip will bring you back, and we'll we'll speak almost exclusively on that topic of sales management as this kind of X factor. I think Ooh. of elevating, you know, sales performance today. Yeah. But but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you touched on a couple of key kind of mindsets or um, values of you know a, a great leader having that vision. Oh Does, yeah,
0: vision, desire to be the best. Yeah. Um. Uh, vision, desire to be the best, <laughs> so um, empowerment and potential as yeah. being the four values and that that was based on uh, research we did with two hundred managers uh, across Europe um, Again, we were trying to distill it into these, you know, to something simple. Yeah. And vision is, is not the company vision. This is the Simon Sinek vision. Right. This is the why, you know, what is the why of what we do in our sales team? You know, and, 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 and that's really important for getting the winning hearts and minds because you, uh, yeah, desire to be the best is all about the sort of standards that you want to send. If you don't have clear standards, Um, in in what we would say in the right areas, you're going to to have a problem. And then, of course, you've got this uh, ability to empower salespeople um, and recognise potential in people as being, um, you know, key key factors that from the research we did sort of makes great leaders stand out. Um, But in the current world in which we live, I think that... Um there's some other attributes that surface that go beyond those four in the book, uh, to do with the ability to deal with ambiguity, uh, uncertainty, and so on. But but let's leave that for another for well, another time, uh, Mark. I think.
1: Absolutely. But well, team. So so um, just in summary, I'm going to ask Philip in a second how people get in contact with you. But I will just touch out, folks. As everybody who listens to these podcasts or webinars knows, I have growth orientation. I'm on a lifelong learning journey. I love books on sales. Um, this one immediately went to you know the top of my list. And I think if you want to understand, you know how you can jump in today and not only feel better about your profession yourself because it is a profession, but secondly make those around you better. Um, this is an excellent you know it's both a strategic psychological benefits also a framework in many cases like the key account management you know size up models i picked i pick the, pick, um, pick up this book very very quickly selling transformed and i've absolutely loved it um, philip it has been just a great pleasure meeting you so um, just be on behalf of everybody associated in our community i just want to say Thank you very much for joining. How do people get in contact with you if they'd like to learn more? Assuming we can buy the book on Amazon, but how else can we? How else can we?
0: Uh, I think, uh, or the publisher, Kogan Page. Um, it can be um, um, in the UK, we have retail uh, chains such as um, Waterstones and Foils as okay. well. But I think Amazon is probably not a bad place to, to go. And coke and page themselves.
1: Yeah. Coke and page. Got it. Yeah. And what about on the professional side of your business, the sales enablement coaching, the sales coaching, the sales consulting? How do folks get in touch with you? Is it through your LinkedIn page? Yeah, just
0: LinkedIn or, you know, reach out on the website. You know, there are multiple opportunities for people to, to make contact. And it will be a pleasure to obviously meet meet you or talk more about it and there's also um the ability for those that are interested uh in the mindsets and the values we talk about to have access to a mindset survey where you can actually survey yourself against the mindsets
1: Mm. doesn't
0: cost anything um so uh yeah give that a go and if you want more information you have a chance to Uh, to ask us if, you know, to, to, to reach out to you. So um, uh, yeah. So there's multiple opportunities.
1: Yeah. And we find that through what's the web web address for that or the web. Um,
0: Well, if you go to the consalia.com website, um, then uh, and look at, and then search for mindset survey, you'll find it almost, you'll get to the landing page.
1: You'll find it there. So, yep. so, so team, those on the webinar today, in our summary email to you, we're going to put a link to that Consalia um, website so you can go and do your mindset test. Those of you hearing this at a later date can always go out to info at inthefunnel.com and we will make sure you get the link to Philip's test online. Uh, Philip, thank, thank you, you so much. I hope we get a chance to do this again. It's been an absolute pleasure meeting you.
0: it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you, Mark. And thanks so much for taking an interest.
1: My pleasure indeed. Team, thank you all for listening. As always, we really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, don't hesitate to give us a Google review. Those all matter. And in the meantime, uh, hoping everybody in the In the Funnel team is wishing everybody out there that you're healthy and happy and safe and emerging stronger from these turbulent times. Bye for now, everybody. (laughs) Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Philip. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: So what's your selling approach like? Are you selling in a way that your customers want to be sold to? From our research, only 10% of salespeople sell in a way that customers want. But what do customers want when they're being sold to? It's no secret that here at Consalia, we've embedded the sales values and mindsets that customers want to see in salespeople into everything we do. From our sales business school through to our sales transformation offering so how do you know whether or not you've got them we have a very simple mindset survey to see if you possess these key values it's really straightforward to use will only take a few minutes to complete and you'll be sent your results straight after you may be just a bit surprised at the results yourself check out the show notes at the end of this podcast episode What you do with the results next is your choice. We're happy to dive deeper into these results to discuss what they mean, or even explore the idea of finding out if your customers see these key values in your approach. If you would like to learn more about the sales mindsets, get a copy of my latest book, Selling Transformed. It's available on Amazon and at Waterstones and Foils, where we go deeper into the topic. There will be links to both the book and the mindset survey in the show notes.